3: Of July, Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online with you at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borke, and Brian Haydad, thanks for being with us. Want to listen to the show? There are lots of ways you can do it. Of course, we're glad to have you along on the radio on the Super Talk Mississippi network of stations. If you're listening, oh, I guess later via podcast, thanks for joining us, or if you're streaming online. Glad to have you wherever you may be listening. You can text to the show on the C Spire text line, 601 879 4395. 601 879 4395. Bull, there's a lot of it in wireless, but C Spire thinks you deserve a plan that's actually what it says. Here's the real deal the best plan for one or two lines, $45 each with auto pay and paperless billing. No bull. C com. Fellas, Tuesday afternoon, hot in the Magnolia State. What's up? It's
4: brutal, man. Um, I just actually finished a, a really cool story. Well, I almost finished it. Uh, somehow the computer let me bypass a paywall for a little bit, and then it like caught up to it, and so I had to stop reading the story about halfway through. However, um, there's a growing movement uh, to change the Redskins to the Red Wolves. Yep. And... they've already gotten rid of Redskins. I mean, that's gone. But um, there's scientists that believe that if the Redskins change their name to the Red Wolves, it could save the species. There's only 20 Red Wolves, wild Red Wolves left in America. 20 of them. And they're in Pennsylvania, if I remember correctly. Uh, But up there in that region of the country. 20 known Red Wolves in the wild left. We have them in zoos and things, but that's it. And they think that if the NFL team in Washington becomes the Washington Red Wolves, that could bring enough awareness because people don't realize that we actually have Red Wolves here, very small amount, but we've got them, and that name change could be the catalyst to saving the species. So these scientists, the ones that study that animal, want that to be the name because they think that would draw enough attention to start conservation efforts and save the animal.
0: More red wolves in America or black bears in Mississippi, which is the bigger number? Black bears in Mississippi. Okay, then it's being sure.
3: Yeah. It was not technically in Mississippi. You know, I told you guys I went to uh, Lake Bruin a couple of weekends ago for the yep. uh, 4th of July. Um, North is, Carolina, not
4: Pennsylvania. Sorry.
3: Fair enough. Sa- same part of the country, generally speaking. Um, so the black bear population just across the river from Vicksburg, and you know a little bit south is apparently alive and well. The um, but one of the people that we were with was making a uh, run to the grocery store, driving along. Black bear just comes waddling out of a cornfield, looks around, goes back into the cornfield. Not like some. Oh, it was Bigfoot. I saw, like it was a black bear. They're just around. They're hanging out. It's almost like if a particular school was going to do a mascot change and really embrace that idea, it would kind of make some sense in this part of the world. But uh, we digress. I still think a bear habitat
4: where the Tad Pad currently sits would have been awesome, but, you know.
3: yeah, We
0: got a funny text here on the text line from Jeff who says, It's funny because Arkansas State was the Indians, and now they're the Red Wolves.
3: That's that is 100% accurate. I was going to bring that up. Is is there any copyright infringement stuff that uh, the Washington football team could be looking at with Arkansas State? Have you seen the story? So, a a local real estate agent
4: bought copyrights to every possible thing that he could think of that would that Washington would change their name to everything. Mm -hmm. And so they've been wanting like they already have a name picked out. They haven't released it, but they have one, but the hang up on the release has been copyright stuff. So most people think that it's either with Arkansas State, it's potentially with uh the Golden State Warriors, Red Wolves or Warriors. That's kind of what people think because all of the other names aren't used by anybody else and this real estate agent has come out and said, "Hey, look, I'm not going to get in the way anymore. They can use whatever my my copyright is. But he did like 20 of them. Every possible thing you could think of, he bought the copyright for, so they would have to go through him to change their name.
3: Yeah, I also heard or read somebody, and this was probably, yeah, maybe a little bit of online trolling, but basically said, because of Dan Snyder's refusal to even entertain the idea of changing the name for so long, none of the trademark and copyright work had been done in advance, the way that normally an organization would do very quietly, very much behind the scenes, through law firms, through legal entities, so that there was no way to attach them to it, um, none of that had happened. Because he was not even willing to entertain the idea of a possible name change, and now when you all of a sudden have to do it in really short order, well, they need to be able to start selling merchandise. They need to be able to license stuff. They need to be able to make money off of that, but they can't do that because they haven't been able to get through the trademark and licensing piece of it, so... Uh, some some stellar planning ahead. I, I don't know why you wouldn't... If you had a name that was even remotely controversial. Remotely. Like the Atlanta Braves have said, we are going to continue being the Atlanta Braves. Um, they're talking about maybe revisiting the whole idea of completely getting rid of the tomahawk chop at Braves games. But it would make sense if somebody in the Atlanta organization, through a shell company or some legal entity... At least had a plan in place. If at some point the pressure became so much that they needed to change their name, so that you know you could roll that out pretty quickly with you know all of the the legwork on the front end done. Yeah, who would you know the Florida State Seminoles? Maybe they need to have at least done that work, even though they have no plans to make any changes. And um, the Seminole Nation has. Fully embrace the idea of Florida State being the Seminoles, you know, because it's almost—it's almost like it's an honor to be named after him. The, the Cleveland Indians, surely they should have gone through that work because at some point maybe they're going to feel like there's pressure to make a change, so that if you have to do it, you're prepared. I don't know; it just seems like that might make sense.
4: Snyder doesn't strike me as the best guy in the world. Did you read the the report about? Um, the charitable donations he was supposed to give to local Native American communities and they stopped like a couple years in. In 2019, he gave zero dollars. He he gave some kind of massive pledge in the millions and it was going to be doled out over a handful of years and they stopped after two.
3: No, it doesn't surprise me, though, based on a lot of the stuff that you've heard about Dan Snyder.
4: But the uniform you- concept's for uh, the Washington Red Wolves, by the way, if that's what they go with, look pretty freaking awesome. Same color scheme? Pretty much, yeah.
3: So they stick with the dark red. It's not quite maroon for the Redskins, is it? Burgundy is that color. Okay, burgundy. Yeah. Uh, and, And the gold, obviously. So Well, and there's been some talk about, like, in terms of word marks, you know, keeping the the W or the the kind of the script R from Redskins comparable, if uh, they were to go forward. So who knows? Hey, don't forget uh, we've got the eighth annual Palmer Home for Children Radiothon coming your way, July 23rd, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Every year there are children across the Magnolia State that need a loving home, and many times these children are caught in unimaginable circumstances. That's why we need your help. You'll find out how Palmer Home for Children rescues and restores children in Mississippi. It's a faith-based organization that doesn't take one penny from the government. So we need your help. One of the many ways you can do so, donating an item for the online auction that will go along with the Radiothon. The money raised from your item will go directly to help these children at Palmer Home. If you've got something you'd like to donate, Shoot us an email, donate at supertalk.fm Time is running out, the Radiothon is next week One week from Thursday, so we're now nine days away You can donate an item or service And your business will get mentioned all across the state of Mississippi On our Supertalk network Again, donate at supertalk.fm if you would like to do so I guess a news item here not necessarily related to sports, but certainly newsworthy in the state of Mississippi. The Confederate statue was moved on the campus of Old Miss this morning. And it was done with very little fanfare, very little advance notice. And if you got to move a statue, that's the way to do it, assuming it's controversial to some. And so they came in early this morning and they got the cranes in and they lifted it out. I, I was, somebody told me that that statue, when it was moved, was going to be moved in like I don't know, 30 pieces or something. I I, I don't know if that was exactly right, but uh, nevertheless, uh, got that done. So good to know. a lot of people that uh, wanted to see that done, and it is now done.
4: Yeah, you didn't give those those clowns
3: from Memphis a a heads up to come down and disturb your campus again. Almost a good idea to not tell people that that's going to happen. Just let it happen. Start it really early in the morning. Get all the trucks and cranes and whatnot out by lunchtime and just go on about your business. Stay up to date on the latest developments in the state of Mississippi as we deal with coronavirus and all the other news that's going on through News Mississippi on Facebook, Twitter, and on the News Mississippi app for Apple and Android devices. A former Mississippi State Bulldog, who's turned out to be a pretty darn good player in the NFL, has gotten paid We'll give you the details on Chris Jones' new contract when we continue Sports Talk Mississippi. PGA Tour will be back at it uh, this weekend in Dublin, Ohio, right outside of Columbus at uh, Muirfield Village. Jack Nicholas's course and the cat will be back. Tiger Woods making his return to tournament golf, playing in a PGA Tour event for the first time since February 12th. By the way, the last time he played around uh, at the PGA Tour, uh, it did not go well. At uh, Riviera, he shot 77 and finished dead last. Didn't make the cut in uh, that tournament, sitting currently on 83 career wins. His next win will make him the all-time winningest professional golfer in PGA Tour history. So um, he did play in the match, and you remember people commenting on how well he played back on may 24th almost two months though since uh since we've seen that you see who they paired him up with for the first round i have not thursday and friday brooks and rory man what a gallery those guys are gonna have (laughs) online streaming numbers are gonna be through the roof yeah, they'll uh, they'll be great. You'll uh, get the early round coverage on the golf channel. certainly'll want to uh, want to watch that. That'll be a fun group to uh, uh, to watch and a, a great field in that tournament. He played a practice round with Justin Thomas. Uh, they went out and played the back nine today and he talked about how weird it is. Basically said for the last twenty some odd years, every single shot that I've hit on the PGA tour has been documented. cameras, fans, and whatnot. Uh, so it's going to be a, uh, you know, it's it's kind of funny when you think about that. So all of those guys are having to adjust to this. But think about, I mean, so Colin Morikawa wins last week. And we've seen Victor Hovland play well. And those guys have been good, but they're, they're still early in their PGA Tour careers, right? I mean, they're not used necessarily to the type of galleries that Tiger Woods deals with they're only a year removed or year and a half removed from playing college golf where there was no gallery. And so I wouldn't think that the adjustment for those guys would be nearly as big as playing without a crowd for somebody like Tiger Woods, who has literally, every time he stepped on the golf course competitively since 1996-7, I mean, it has been where he's just been engulfed by people.
4: Yeah, the transition, a lot easier for them. And even like guys that had to graduate from Corn Ferry. I mean, most of those tournaments don't have galleries at all except for the grandstands on the final hole. And even then, it's not really that many people. Uh, that's a really good point. I didn't think of that. I remember <laughs> being at Augusta, and even when Tiger's gallery is quiet, you can still hear them. Like, there's there's, there's so many people, there's just a, a murmur, a buzz when mm-hmm. he's around. These guys have never seen anything like
3: that before. No, nothing, uh, nothing like it at all. I don't know if Chris Jones has ever seen checks like he's about to see going forward. The Kansas City Chiefs and the defensive tackle, former Mississippi State Bulldog, have reached an agreement on a four-year contract, according to Adam Schefter at ESPN. $80 million. $37 million of that is due at signing. 60 of the $80 million is guaranteed for injury. There are $5 million in related incentives that could make the value of the contract up to eighty-five. million. Million dollars. Chris Jones, hey dad, had said he wasn't going to play without a new deal. Well, he got the new deal, and it is a big one—an average of twenty million a year.
0: I'm no cap person. I don't know how the salary cap works, but does Kansas City have extra money that we don't know about? How are they doing this? It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but yeah, big big money for Chris Well, they're Chris paying Jones. Mahomes
3: almost nothing this year and next. Yeah. I guess yeah, that that's what how they it did is. it.
0: And so the people
4: that were so critical of them for deal for working a deal with Mahomes before Jones, they were crazy because Mahomes' deal is what allowed them to pay Jones.
0: Well, it worked out good for them, yeah, and it worked out great for Chris Jones. Uh, I would just looking at it in terms of defensive tackles, I got to assume he and Fletcher Cox are the top two paid defensive tackles in, in the game right now. Maybe Aaron Donald's up ahead of them, I don't know, but uh, yeah, that's that's good news for uh, for him and good news for Mississippi State. And now for Mississippi State fans who want to watch this kind of thing, the next thing is, you know, the clock's ticking on Dak Prescott. Will they get a deal done in the next, I guess, you know, few hours? I don't know if that's going to happen or not. But they're sons, until I mean,
3: tomorrow, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, what was it, two years ago? Nineteen and a half sacks. That's an insane number for anybody, let alone a defensive tackle. Or maybe it wasn't nineteen and a half, it was fifteen and a half. But even so, you don't normally get double digit sacks out of defensive tackles. Uh, and for him to do that was 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 really good. And you know, this year, obviously Super Bowl champion. And uh, yeah, long career in the NFL looks like it's ahead of him and a lot of money to be made.
4: For this year, Aaron Donald, uh, number one defensive tackle, 22.5. DeForest Buckner, really good player, just kind of gets buried where he is, 21. Chris Jones at 20, and Fletcher Cox at 17 1. That's your top four.
3: Pretty good money. So, Chris Jones in training camp in 2018 predicted that he was going to lead the NFL in sacks. He did not. But he got close, 15 and a half sacks in 2018, which ranked third in the league behind Aaron Donald, the aforementioned, and J.J. Watt. And Jones also set an NFL record for consecutive games with a sack. He had 11 consecutive games in 2018 where he recorded a sack. Last year, nine sacks, despite missing three games with a groin injury, and selected to play in the Pro Bowl. And... When you look at his deal, I mean, so so this is one week removed from Patrick Mahomes signing that ten year deal that is worth up to five hundred three million dollars. But the extension for Mahomes does not begin until the twenty twenty two season. So the Chiefs took on little, as we were talking about just a second ago, in the way of additional salary cap money for this year or for next year by extending Mahomes contract instead of just doing a new one. The salary cap cost for Patrick Mahomes this year is $5.3 million. Therefore, you're able to go and do a deal with, uh, with Chris Jones.
0: A lot of money. A lot of money for, for some former Bulldogs, like we said. you know, Jones and uh, Fletcher Cox making a lot. Darius Slay is the highest-paid cornerback in the league. Dak will make thirty one mil this, this year, uh, and possibly more, uh, depending on what they can get done. So we talked about this a, a while back. We talked about MSU, and this was before the 18 or I guess the 19 draft, where State had three first rounders. We were talking about how does State recruit when Ole Miss had, had the first rounders, and I, I made the comment about you know you got to sort of preach the second contract that our guys are getting these second contracts. Here's another one. Yeah, this it's,
3: so in terms of recruiting, how does this affect Mississippi State? New staff, obviously yeah. not a staff that recruited any of these guys, but. We have seen recruiting materials from people that uh, you know they they lay loose claim to former players at uh, at particular schools, uh, so as to show off how much our guys are making in the NFL.
0: Yeah, for me, I'll, I'll, I don't mind when the school does stuff like that. If assistant coaches are doing that kind of stuff, when you didn't coach here, uh, that 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 always strikes me the wrong way. Tim, you know, I think our, one of our favorite guys to talk about in this show, Tim Brewster. Uh, did mm-hmm. that at Florida State, and I think it was uh, Jalen Ramsey came out and was saying, yeah. "Hey, you don't, you know, you didn't coach me. I didn't, you didn't coach any of those guys." So, but if the school's putting it out, I don't have. I think it's. I think it's obviously very effective marketing at that Six. point when you can. You know, think about Alabama was a few years ago. They had a uh, their entire defense. I think it was from the eleven team, and they just showed. They just had the depth chart up, and it had the contracts and all the money that was being made. Mississippi State's getting pretty close to being able to do some stuff like that with with, with those guys. Nardrick McKinney, I mentioned Darius Slay, uh, Dak, and then you know going forward, you know Gabe Jackson is, is making big money in the league right now. A lot, a lot of Bulldogs making some big money. There should be, you know, I guess maybe 15, 20 years from now, if everybody manages their money correctly, uh, some new stuff on, on campus uh, paid for by former players.
3: Well, assuming they want to give it back to the university. Which is usually a relatively safe assumption. Yeah. It's actually... It feels like that should be the case. And at some places it is. Some places more than others. Yeah. Um, but the percentage of former players that actually write tra- checks in terms of donations to the uh, universities they went to is uh, traditionally not a real big number. Like, it's actually a really small number. Uh, I, I certainly would think, though, that the people at the foundations—they'll um, hit them up for sure—would be reaching out to those guys and saying, "Hey, oh, what can we what can we work out here?" Um, I guess your point a second ago, Steve Spurrier Jr. probably doesn't need to be uh, claiming what a great job he did with Chris Jones.
0: Steve Spurrier Jr. No, I I, I wouldn't think that would be. Uh... <laughs> no, I, I don't see that one working for me.
3: Yeah, yeah. Just hey, man. Come to Mississippi State, and this is what we'll help you do. Wait, you—you you didn't help those guys do that, but uh, I hear you. No, but he I didn't help turn, any
0: D lineman do that. He's a wide receivers coach.
3: No, I understand. I, I understand. Okay. Just uh, kind of making it, making it out there. Um, cool NASCAR event coming up tomorrow night, and we will have Scary Gary in studio coming up in uh, in just a few minutes to visit with us. And Borky will see if Gary is, is excited about. Neon light undercarriages as we are. <laughs> it's gonna be so you
4: know they're having fans there tomorrow.
3: Oh yeah? Thirty thousand people, yeah. In a big stadium, you can spread them out. Yeah, 150, I think it's seats. What was the crowd for that Tennessee Virginia Tech game? Those pictures are still hard to believe. They really are. And do you know how far some of those seats were from the playing surface. I
4: have a buddy that went to the game and he was towards
3: the back. He said we couldn't even see the video board. Had no idea what was going on. And the video board was massive! (laughs) Is that big suspended halo video board up over the the playing surface? Sports Talk Mississippi. More coming up with you, streaming at Uh supertalk.fm. Right, with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and the Farm Bureau phone line. That's where Scary Gary would normally join us. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team at Mississippi Farm Bureau. But we got a little uh, studio remodel project going on, and so we've got Gary in studio with me, our NASCAR aficionado. What's up, man? Good afternoon, Richard. Nice to see you. I had to hey, come up way, here to be with you great. today. It's looking great in here. It is. It looks looks a lot different in here. Yeah, Different color walls and everything. Borky, I've told you before, there's nothing Gary can't do. He, and he, there's nothing he hasn't done either. That, that, that's true. And uh, if he doesn't <laughs> know how to do it, he just kind of learns it on the fly. He told me a second ago... You know, for this uh, trim I'm installing, I might should have watched a YouTube video first, but just learn it on the fly, right? Read the dress That's right. Later. Knowledge is a dangerous thing. There you go. All right, so they were in Kentucky last week. That's right. On the uh, the NASCAR circuit, and that was after being an Indy the week before. Cole Custer gets the win at the NASCAR Cup Series at Kentucky race. Martin Truex finished second. You had Kevin Harvick in fourth, Kurt Busch in fifth. Blaney was in uh, in sixth. Who's Cole Custer? Cole Custer is a
2: r- rookie. He come up through the trucks in the Xfinity series, and he's driving with Kevin Harvick, Tony, you know, Tony Stewart's team, which Kevin and and um, them, you know, the Amarola and and Boyer drive for. And they added another car to 41, and he's been racing and he's been do- doing fair, but. Let's just say he, uh, he was in the right place at the right time and he had the right idea. He was passing everybody on these restarts on the outside because they would leave it open and he'd just drive up there and drive around them. And of course, Blaney was trying to, to steal the show at the end and he cut down to the inside of the track and Kevin Harvick and the 19 were coming, you know, coming, trying to fight it out amongst themselves. And Blaney hit a doggone water drain grate, one of them big rectangle square grates on the infield of the track, and it shot him back up the track, and he hit the side of Kevin Harvick and almost almost crashed them all out. And Cole Custer was in the process of passing all of them on the outside. Well, he got passed. And, of course, it wasn't but just a, a lap or so that he had to run out front, and he won it. And, of course, the deal with that is a rookie's never won this race before. Everybody that's ever won this race has been a NASCAR champion at some point in their career. Hmm. There's always been a champion that's won this. I mean, but this was a true rookie that won it. And, of course, that... At, like I talked before about being in the winter circle. Well, now he gets to race tomorrow night at Bristol and he don't have to run through the qualifying race or anything. He's he's automatically in the the main race, 4 million dollars. And uh um, it just it helped it propelled him into the winner's bracket and of course they'll talk more about him now since he's a winner and of course he is a, a true rookie in these cars but he's he's run good at Kentucky in the Xfinity series and he's run good in other tracks in the Xfinity series so i mean he's just he's got to learn it's a longer race and a lot harder race in NASCAR cuz they run flat out all the time and it's a lot longer race but uh he they pulled it out, was letting in the right place at the right time.
3: That, that's not a track that's got the same name recognition as, as Charlotte or Bristol or Pocono or Martinsville or it, Homestead It hadn't been around or, as long. Right. Is it a, a good track? Is it a track that drivers like? It, it is a good track, but, uh... It kind of sits out in the middle of nowhere, too, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, and, well,
2: Darrell Waltrip helped develop that track and, and build it when it was originally, you know, built, what, 12 years ago or so, and, um uh, it's it's a nice track but they just didn't put a lot of banking in it a lot of the corners are kind of flat and it doesn't have the high banks like most of your mile and a half are really high banked and it it helps the cars turn well when it's flat like that the cars want to slip well they kept talking about the traction compound they have a product that they can spray on the racetrack and it makes it sticky and it stays sticky and it gives them traction and that was the deal if you got too low out of the out of the traction control you'd lose control your car and you'd spin out if you got too far out you'd pick up the the debris from the tires grating off because it's an abrasive track it's 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 kind of like a cheese grater in some aspects it grates the tires off and you heard that on some of the cars when they come in on the pits they were cording well what that means is The rubber has rubbed off the tire to a certain point where the inner liner of the cords are actually showing Mm. on the tire. And it's just. Which means you're not far from a blowout. That's right. You're not far from a blowout. And of course you don't want a, a tire to fail while you're out there, but they were just, it was. It was a good race. I mean, it kind of got a little boring here a little bit in the middle, but there at the end, it was as exciting as you could have wanted because they had very few cautions right up until the end. Yep. And then it was
3: just like four in a row. Um, tomorrow night, all-star race at Bristol. First time ever. It's going to feel a little bit different because you're going to have fans there, up to 30,000 fans. you got to wear a mask if you're in a common area, which includes the Gates Restrooms, concessions, souvenir stands, elevators, concourses, and suite level hallways. but once you're in your seat, you don't have to have a mask on. I would imagine that they will have seats, you know, spotted out uh,
2: six feet apart from everybody. It's a social, yeah. social distance because I mean, you have to think this, this place will hold over a 100,000 folks. It's, when they have the race at night in the normal year, it's like the third largest city in Tennessee that night. Because all the people that come to sure. Bristol, but um, you know, a hundred thousand seats, three thousand, you know, it's not going to be that many people. 30,000. 30,000. 30, well, yeah, thirty
3: thousand. I mean, It's a decent. No, I mean,
2: it's obviously yeah. a packed house, but but it's to still going to be, had, be it's gonna people be cool. cheering and hollering, and and yeah. it'll make it a little bit more exciting. I mean, when the when the driver wins, at least there'll be people cheering instead of them getting out and. To Maybe an empty stand, there to yell boogity boogity boogity. That's right, or either holler holler your number or boo you or whatever. I mean, yeah. like Earnhardt said, it don't matter if they cheer for you or boo you. As
3: long as they making racket for you, you you doing right. That that'll work one way or the other. Uh, it's going to look a little bit different as they're going with neon lights on the undercarriage of the cars. I think this is really cool. Is this something that if it presents well on television, they might say we'll do that for all the night races. Maybe. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of anxious to see
2: how it looks, too, because, I mean... Are you are, worried about being a, it being a distraction at all for the drivers? Not really. I mean, it's it's going to be under the car. It's not going to be, like, shining out. So we're not talking strobe lights? No, we're not talking, like, police lights on the roof and all. This is the strips that, like on our motor coach, it has uh, blue undercarriage lights that you turn on, and it, it puts a blue hewn under the vehicle, Right. which... In some aspects, it'll, it's going to look a little different on track because you go have all these cars with a blue hewn coming out from under the sides of it. But I don't believe it's going to be a bright enough light that it's going to really distract to the drivers. I mean, it's,
3: it's, doesn't it feel, Gary, like NASCAR has done a pretty good job promoting what they've had to promote, what they've been able to promote over the last I six I have to weeks. give NASCAR a hand. They have,
2: they have stepped up and they have, adapted through this the whole crazy time that we've had and they've come up with some new rules and some different things which has really made the racing kind of more exciting and a little bit different to watch. Because I mean with no practice you get there, they you know, they drive on Thursdays for the lineup so you know where you go start and you just have to have the car ready when you get there. And
3: You know what's a a little hard to believe is we've been back racing for two months now. Mm-hmm. Almost. I mean, May 17th was the day that it came back, and it was the first... Borky, that was the first North American sporting event to return, right? I believe so, yes. They ran a horse race the day before. Okay. But true, motorsport, you might say. But yeah, for, first weekend anyway. So, and, and just compact schedule, and really, they've handled the whole
2: COVID thing pretty well. Right, and and with some of these tracks that are running two times at, you know, yeah. two or three days apart, which... It keeps them from traveling, and plus it catches them up on the races because you still got to run the full schedule to, you know, to have a champion. You can't run half schedule and say, well, okay, he's the champion because we've only run, you know, twenty of the thirty-five races or thirty-four races that they're run. So I mean, it's it's they're gonna get the races in one way or the other. It may not be in order from originally what they had, but. It's kind of like they go to Texas next. And then, of course, they, they've released the other schedule like last week of the rest of the season up to the break where they go for the championship, which is going to be, it's going to be interesting to see. Cause I mean, they will start letting some folks come back in. Of course, if the COVID in certain areas stays low and they're able to, you know, social distance and everything, they probably will start
3: letting some fans come back, but it won't be. Full packed houses. All right. What's the difference in the All Star Open, which is the first thing they'll run tomorrow night, and then the All Star race, which happens at about seven thirty. Okay. To be an All Star you have to win a race.
2: Okay. You have to be a proven winner. Well, the the pre race any point in your career? Yeah. I mean in NASCAR. Okay, in in the Cup Series, well, I don't know if you can hear the music. We got about 30 seconds. Okay, the guys that are racing in the first race have not won a race, so they will have to race, and whoever finishes that race will get to move for the million dollars. Plus, the fans will have a choice to pick one person, fan favorite, to put them in to race for a million dollars, because this is this is a million dollar purse. You were talking about winning a million dollars. Yeah, I said they don't win that much. There'll be a million dollars to the winner on this one. And nobody else gets paid? Well, everybody else will get paid, but okay. there's a, let's just say that winner gets a million dollars.
3: Gotcha. So a million bucks for the winner tomorrow night, and two drivers that run in the open will also get to run in the big well, race. We'll move
2: forward to the next
3: race. All right. A little bit more coming up with Scary Gary after a quick timeout. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming with you at supertalk.fm. We'll be right back. Seaspire text line 601 879 4395. Spence is at the beach. He says, We are all ears right now for Scary Gary, listening online this evening down in Orange Beach. Thanks, hey, Spence. Appreciate that. Gary, don't, don't get burned up. <laughs> yeah. A little sunscreen. Never hurt anybody. Uh, Gary, this is one of those questions where people who watch NASCAR on a regular basis are going to be like, Richard, you idiot. But my guess is I'm not the only person who has this question. So I was watching a race, part of a race, a couple of weeks ago. I'm looking at the total number of laps. Okay, let's just say it's, for the sake of this conversation, it's a 300 lap race, and it's, you know, 78 of 300. Right. But then there's like a sub race within the race where it's like segment one, and they're in lap number two, and then 54 of 75. What are the segments?
2: What What does that mean? Okay, when well NASCAR wanted to make competition a little bit more exciting for the fans, because used to you'd run three hours, let's say, and you may have one car out front for the three hours. Mm-hmm. I'm just giving you perfect scenario. No, that's fine. Well, I mean, you know, you may go mow the grass and come back and see if so and so's still leading the race. Well, it it's no excitement. Well, NASCAR broke them up into segments so that. You'll have the first segment, and you get points, and a different winner. Just like you've seen, just about every time, it's just about been a different winner each segment. I mean, there's been a few races that, you know, a couple of folks have backed up two two segments, but very few three segment wins. But it's like if you're good at the start of the race, you may win a segment, and then of course something happens, and you fall back. Well, you've got you've got some.
3: Playoff points for winning that first segment. Okay. So that fact, this factors winning segments factors into the season long points race. Correct. Because if you win, you
2: get stage points, what they call it. And it's first through 10, and they give them, give them points. Well, of course, those points at the end of the year are going to count to see who gets into the top 16. The first cuts top 16. And you got to be within that top 16 to, to stay in the cut. Well, if you've got a win or stage points, that puts you up over the folks that's just maybe run better than you but hadn't won or, or had really good finishes.
3: All right, so let me ask you this. Uh, in the race at Kentucky last week, Cole Custer wins. Right. And he gets 48 points with eight bonus points. What are the bonus points? Are those from segments? Yes. Those are or stage points. Stage points. And, uh, well, that's what they are.
2: Bonus points, you might say. Cause used to, they wouldn't give you any points for, you know, leading halfway. They, they used to have a prize. It was a $10,000. You know, bonus for leading halfway point. Well, now they've cut it into three segments, and they make the first two the same, and then they make the last one a little bit longer, so that it is a little bit more challenging. Because you know, if you got eighty laps and you cut it forty and forty, you know, you know, you've got forty more laps. But if you've got a hundred and seven laps, you got to break that. You've got to figure out where you're going to pit, and it it brings more strategy into okay. play.
3: All right, so. The most points are for winning the overall race, though. Correct. Okay, so Cole Custer has the most points. He gets forty-eight. Eight of those were bonus points. But if you look down into sixth place, you see Ryan Blaney. He got forty-six points total for the race. Fifteen of those were bonus points. So That means he ran well early, right? Right. He he won
2: he won stages. Okay. At the first, and then he had a little issue and got behind and was trying to to win the race at the end when he hit the drain, but uh. Blaney was the class of the car, most class of the uh, the car with the fastest time all all day, but he just got messed up and got got back in traffic. And of course, that clean air makes a big difference on these cars. You always hear them talking about clean air is so much better. Well, yeah, because you're not having all that dirt. It's kind of like being behind an eighteen wheeler when you try to pass. You get that push and pull from that truck. Yeah. Well, if you're out front, you
3: don't have that push and pull onto your vehicle. All right. So in reality. Cole Custer wins the race. He gets the most points. But Ryan Blaney actually does better finishing in six with his 46 points than Martin Truex, who finishes with 42 points in second place? Well, that's because he won the first two segments. And but, you but, get... but overall, that right. means he
2: had a better race than the guy that finished right. in second. Right. I mean, it, it wasn't the finished it counted. It
3: was his total points. There, there we go. Yeah. Borky, we learned something. I did learn something. I did not uh, did not know that. Who's been the best driver Overall, since the uh, restart on May 17th? Uh, let's just say the 19, 11, and the 4. Okay, so Martin
2: Truex. Uh, Truex Kevin is Harvick, the 19. And the 11 is Denny Hamlin. Of course, okay. Denny Hamlin's won several of the races here. And, he and uh,
3: Hamlin and Harvick were the two that went first, second, second, first in the back to back race. Pocono, right? yes. Yeah. Uh, who's
2: your favorite driver? Uh, I don't know. I like them all. I like Chase and I like Harvick.
3: Chase Elliott. Chase Elliott. And Kevin Harvey. I feel like that makes you a little bit of a front runner, Gary. Well, you go for a winner. No. <laughs> no I like I
2: mean, you gotta respect all these guys that are out there. Even Timmy Hill that's running back in thirty fifth place at the end of the race. You gotta respect him. He's he got ride. There is Timmy
3: Hill in the sixty six car.
2: So I mean, you know, it's it's he's just a, a learner. He's a young kid and he's coming along. But you gotta respect him. He's 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 gone through the ranks and he's gotten people recognize him that he has talent and they're gonna give him a chance. So I mean if he if yep. he, if he pans out he could be a good driver. Always good to see you, my friend. Good to see you, Richard. Appreciate you letting me come in.
3: All-star race at Bristol tomorrow night under the lights and a little glow under the carriage. That's right, in Texas this weekend. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back number two sports talk mississippi just after four o'clock on this tuesday the 14th of july 601-879-4395 that's the number for the c spire text line be honest you know your business deserves better so get better with c spire business internet and phone uh you can do it as a bundle it's backed by real support see how c spire can power your success today at cspire.com slash business all right guys True or false? Generally speaking, we've had a lot of crappy news lately.
0: That's very true.
3: Porky. Oh, that's undeniable. Would anybody like some good news? Yeah. Bring okay, it to us. Yeah, this is a an interactive medium we were working on. I got some good news for you. Well, let's hear it. The Mississippi High School Activities Association Executive Committee has voted that the start of fall sports will be delayed two weeks. Practices for volleyball, swimming, and cross-country will begin on August 10th. First meets and matches August 24th. High school football practice in the state of Mississippi... Begins on August seventeenth, with Game One on September fourth. All right, in the words of the head coach of the Arkansas Razorbacks, "Yes, sir." Got to draw it out longer. Yes, sir. There it is.
4: Yeah, Make it is. more Pittman, uncomfortable. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah, a lot of R's in that. A lot of R's. Uh, this is great. Yeah, they're gonna. I think they are cutting some weeks from uh from uh I think they're cutting two games from the lower levels and one game from the upper levels if I read that right. right. And they they aren't moving the playoffs. Everything's sort of still in place. to have the playoffs the uh, the first weekend of December, which I, I think this year is in Starkville. The the state championships will be up here. Okay. Um. And there you go. Maybe some numbers for why this is happening.
3: If you're a numbers kind of guy, these numbers are COVID-19 related through 7 July. So they're a week old. Between the ages of 0 and 19, there are 850,000 residents in the state of Mississippi. 850,000 Mississippians that fall between the ages of 0 and 19. Those 850,000 Mississippians have accounted for 3,014 positive COVID-19 cases and zero deaths. Between the ages of 20 and 29, 410,000 Mississippians, 6,841 cases, seven deaths. So a 100% survival rate for Mississippians that contract COVID-19 between the ages of 0 and 19 and a 99.898% survival rate for Mississippians between the ages of 20 and 29 that contract COVID-19.
4: And that's only the cases we know about. I mean, I see story after story reference the fact that there are cases, there have been I mean, some people think that it's, I mean, 10 up to 20 times more cases from people that were asymptomatic and just had no idea and never got tested for it. So that's of the cases that we know are out there. Common sense
3: prevailing here. it It's not One, like they need to... I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say 1.26 million people, 9,855 cases, seven deaths. And each of those tragic, but... Oh, no, absolutely right. they are. I'm not belittling the seven deaths. I'm just not saying even the survival rate for that age group is off the charts. It's massive.
4: And not trying to bring a sense of normalcy to high school and younger kids would be more devastating than clearly as you laid out this virus is to them i know like and when when people point out what you just did they'll say oh well they can bring it home to their parents well that the uh, spreading rate from kids to adults is not near as high as adults to adults and on top of that you still have to take appropriate precautions and they're still telling you to wear masks and separate the classroom some do what you can mm-hmm. to not spread it but you cannot just continue to shut down life for kids when this thing does not really affect them that would just lead to outcomes and if, the things that hap- that would come from another shutdown and a remote learning and not having activities for kids
3: is far worse than what this virus is to them you common sense is prevailing here it, it's social regression it's depression it's frankly in some cases in a worst case scenario suicide it, it, it's learning um gaps it, it, it's bad and so school needs to have it school's going to start august 10th in Mississippi. The Mississippi Department of Education said there are three ways you can go about it. You can open your schools for face-to-face learning. You can have a hybrid deal where it's face-to-face and online slash virtual, or you can create a virtual deal. Different school districts are handling it different ways. Where I live, the Oxford School District has said we'll have face-to-face and we'll have virtual. If you don't feel it's good for your kid to go back to school, and believe it or not, there's some parents who think it's not a good plan for their kid to go back to school, then you can participate in virtual learning. Otherwise, you're going to school. And they've got safeguards in place and masks and and all those things. They're going to do the best they can to keep as many people safe as possible. But uh, let's just say that school boards are made up of people who have divergent political views. I know for a fact that the five members of the school board where I live in Oxford all said, as safely as we possibly can we have to do everything we can to get kids back in schools. And I am so thankful for that. Two texts have come in to me, but we're going to pretend like they came in on the ceasefire text line 601 879 4395. You want to text the show? You can. A buddy of mine says, in terms of those dates, they should do it that way forever. Too damn hot right now, anyway.
0: I've never understood I, why they start so early. I don't disagree with either. that at all. It's it's crazy. It's crazy, to especially when you talk about some of the smaller schools. Their kids are playing both ways. You don't have a lot of roster. It makes no sense to be playing football in mid-August. None that whatsoever.
3: Was, that was text number one. None of us disagree. Text number two just gave me chill bumps. This is a good friend of mine. He says... Hey, we got Ping Pong and Sharpie on the phone. Let's fire up the Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance Company's scoreboard show. There we go. I love it. Look, man, I don't know. Maybe this stuff changes. Maybe it does. I'm so desperate for some good news, for some excitement, for something to look forward to, that I am all 100% on board we are at times critical of the MHSAA, and they've made decisions along the way that deserve criticism. It's a good one right here. If you missed it a second ago, the executive committee of the MHSAA has voted the start of fall sports will be delayed two weeks. Volleyball, swimming, and cross-country practice will start on August 10th. First meeting uh, meets and matches two weeks later, August 24th. Football practice will begin August 17th. First games on September 4th. Tim in Belmont says, one time they've made a great decision. Bo in Gulfport, I cannot wait for the Friday night scoreboard show. I'm with you, man. I am with you. Um... Question on the C Spire text line. Junior college ball is moving to spring. Would you, as the MACC, be in contact with ESPN for a TV deal, since as it stands now, you and the Ivy League will be the only games in town?
4: I would certainly try. You'd be crazy not to, but there are other sports that do happen in that time that ESPN has contracts with that would generate more viewership. I'm not being flippant. That's just junior college football in March would not draw the way the NBA does. And so ESPN has a big contract with the NBA, and so they would probably want to maintain
3: that. Kimball and Pascagoula, thank goodness somebody used some common sense by having high school football this fall question one case on a team will they shut them down I don't think so I don't think you do I mean I think you isolate you quarantine you if a kid gets sick then you send them home in the same way that if a kid tests positive that's in the classroom they get sent home I'm for it Steven Gagliano says, never been so happy to give up my Friday nights, ready for some football. We'll be hosting the high school scoreboard show. We will be right back. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at Supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, thanks for being with us on this Tuesday.
4: Good news day Uh, all around, man. Tell it. Tell it, Morky. Breaking news. According to the Associated Press, the first COVID vaccine tested in the United States is poised for final testing. The first COVID vaccine test in the United States revved up people's immune systems just the way they had hoped. According to Anthony Fauci, no matter how you slice it, he says, this is good news. The experimental vaccine developed by the National Institutes of Health and Moderna Incorporated, will start the most important step on July 27th, a 30,000-person study to prove if they are strong enough to protect against the virus. But today, researchers reported uh, their findings from the first 45 volunteers who got uh, this experimental vaccine back in March, and the vaccine provided a hoped-for immune boost. So this is going to the next trial, uh, here in a couple of weeks, but so far, so very good. you now signing up for it? No.
3: But it was good news, Borky. Yeah,
4: it's good news because the existence of a vaccine will really calm everybody down. And we can get some semblance of normalcy back. I will still, um, if I contract it, I will take the risk that a 28 year old, relatively healthy man will be okay if it does happen to come to my doorstep
3: spence in brookhaven with a question and spence i'm going to tell you before i even ask the question that i don't know the answer and it's not something that we haven't talked about and it's not something that we're not wondering about we just don't know the answer yet he says with juco playing football in the spring What about all your December transfers into a four-year college? This has got to be tough, not only for the coaches and recruiting, but also for the student-athletes. Love the show. We love you, Spence. That's what we're working on getting an answer to, right? Yes. Reached out to a couple people today that
4: didn't have one, but at some point this week we'll have an answer for you.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, I hope. It may be the exact same question that junior college coaches are asking right now. How am I going to field a team? And I think the questions are twofold. I think they are on on two different fronts. I think the, the question first and foremost is for the junior colleges, okay, guys are done in December, they didn't play, but they've committed already or they've gotten an opportunity to move on. Can they go in December and do we just deal with it without them? And then the other piece, and this is, I mean, this is like hypothetical on top of hypothetical, so it probably doesn't really make sense to ask this right now. But in the event that you had a spring football season at the Division One level, would junior college players that are mid year enrollees be eligible to play this coming year? And is the NCAA going to set roster size limitations to the side for one year? Because you're ca- you capped at 85 scholarships, certain number of guys you can dress. But if you had mid-year enrollees that were coming in that you thought were going to take spots of graduating seniors to be a part of your team going forward, or because you had spots open, are those guys going to be immediately eligible? Can can they help you in the spring? I mean, well,
4: I get, but if somebody's an early enrollee and they go on scholarship, does that not mean they count against your total?
0: Yeah, but it's, yes, that's it's what always, I'm saying. are you going to ask that, the NCAA to set the numbers aside?
3: But
4: why would you have to set the,
0: because uh, the they count seniors. against your total, but you, but you lose your seniors. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, It's it they yeah, count against your the total senior, for no, next year, enough, but yeah, but, but uh, no, I see what you're saying, Richard, that the seniors are still there in this scenario. Yeah, but in a normal scenario, the seniors are gone. So, well, we Dorky, this system. is the easy answer. Then, yeah,
4: you suspend yeah, the you, scholarship. Yeah, you have to limit.
3: set limits aside for for a short period of time. But then you would immediately have teams trying to exploit that as well. Oh, of absolutely course, but would.
4: This is a exploitative time. If yeah. you were the the Mississippi junior colleges, who I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, they only play each other until the bowl games happen. Mm-hmm. Would you consider? going off on your own for, for a yep. year and playing yep. this fall.
3: And it's funny, I was reading through a uh, a press release that came from our friend Blake Long at Northeast Mississippi Community College. Uh, this was a week ago. So this was obviously before the, uh, the announcement yesterday. But the MACC had put out some changes instead of nine games, which traditionally they play, they're only going to be eight this year. So northeast schedule was altered in so much as they weren't going to make the road trip to Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College this year. That was a week ago. They had already, obviously in the state of Mississippi, put some ideas in place, some limitations in place. I'm just being honest with you. I don't know enough about the governance that the NJCAA has over state organizations. You know, would you be going rogue? Could you go rogue? Would you be jeopardizing your future relationship with the NJCAA or you know sports accreditation or anything like that? If you said, "Yeah, we hear you. We know we're not doing this nationally, but we're playing ball in Mississippi," I I, I don't know the answer to that. Don't know. But it looks like there were plans to have a reduced season by one game. Um, we had the meeting yesterday in Birmingham with all of the SECADs and the administration and the health task force and the return to school task force, you know, all the different committees. And... Stephen Godfrey at Banner Society has written a story that says these are the things that they're looking at in terms of schedules. These are the main schedule changes that the SEC is looking at. Can somebody tell me why all of a sudden I feel a little more optimistic about playing some college football this fall? Because you got good news today.
0: You got good news today, and you know there's going to be high school football. You know there's going to be NFL football. It's just about what's in the middle here.
4: And you know deep down, they they have to make it work. They have to.
3: Well, and then there's one other thing. Um, I saw this from... Oh, goodness. It was uh, the quote from Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley's quote earlier today on college football being played this season. I just can't imagine a scenario where we don't play. Now, parenthetically, you remember Lincoln Riley's like, there's no reason at all for us to go back on June 1st. We need to buy another month. We need to have more time to learn. Now, on July 14th, by the way, Oklahoma's been back for a week or two now. I just can't imagine a scenario where we don't play. Whether it's something we do in the fall, whether it's a shortened season, whether it's spring, there's nothing we should take off the table. Regardless of what we have to do, I don't think there's anything we can't work around and we can't adjust and can't make work in order to play college football. We've all got to do our part. Now, Matt Leinert, who's a college football analyst and former Heisman Trophy winning quarterback at Southern Cal, quote tweeted this from Lincoln Riley and said, do you agree? And While slightly hyperbolic, perhaps, Tim Brando tweeted this. Absolutely, the very future of intercollegiate athletics is at stake. If it's hyperbolic, it's only slightly so. (laughs) And
4: maybe things will get better by the time games actually start getting played. I mean, you have these conferences now doing things to help mitigate the spread and all of that. And by the way, everybody talks about cases rising in Florida and stuff, and we'll may get to the story out of that state later on, but cases rising in Florida and Arizona and stuff. But coincided with all of that is Kentucky. zero. They tested everybody involved with football, over 100 tests, zero positives. You're seeing that story pop up all over college football These programs and these teams are are doing this right. They're they're having very few, if any, in Kentucky's case, zero positives. So, yes, it's spreading in Arizona and California in places where they're not currently getting ready for a season. But if that continues to be the case, they're going to play. If Kentucky keeps churning out 157 tests and no positives, they're going to play football this year. So, yes, The cases are rising elsewhere, but as long as the guys that are supposed to be playing are are good, they're not going to stop them.
3: Here's a follow-up to the uh, tweet that you mentioned with regard to the first vaccine being tested in the United States and boosting volunteers' immune system as hoped. From the AP story, the experimental vaccine developed by Fauci's colleagues at the National Institutes of Health and Moderna will start its most important step around July 27th. A 30,000-person study to prove if the shots really are strong enough to protect against coronavirus. That is two weeks from yesterday when that next phase will begin. And 30,000 people, that is not an insignificant sample size. The Frozen Tundra of Lambeau Field. The National Football League presents... Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Tuesday afternoon. Carl Haydad and Borky, what's on your mind? Text us, C Spire Text Line, 601-879-4395. 601 879 Four, three, nine, five. I mentioned this story, and then we didn't get to it earlier. This was actually supposed to be for the college football fix, but i it. I want to talk about it now. We'll figure out something else to talk about for the college football fix. Including what they uh, announced at Texas yesterday. I Nick Saban,
4: uh, Trump story. That's my vote for college football fix.
3: Lou? Sweet Lou? <laughs> uh, so Godfrey wrote this. said, these are the um, main schedule changes that the SEC is looking at eight-game conference schedule. The league would mirror its counterparts in the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, dropping non-conference games and playing its existing conference schedule as well as the SEC championship game in Atlanta. Two scenarios if the SEC goes this route. Number one, simply remove the non-conference games and play the season as is. Would give ten SEC programs an extra two weeks before their season starts. Two games would kick the season off on September 12th. You'd have Florida against Kentucky and Missouri against Vanderbilt. LSU and Texas A&M would not begin their season until September 26th. Mississippi State would open its season against Arkansas on September 19th. In that scenario. Ole Miss, by the way, would open its season September 19th at home against Auburn. By the way, in that scenario, Ole Miss would begin the season with Auburn, LSU, and Alabama in consecutive weeks. That was always going to be a difficult stretch, but you are looking at least Forward to having one win against Southeast Missouri State before that one rolled along, and maybe two if they were able to beat Baylor. Okay,
0: same same, same thing with Mississippi State. We talked about them possibly being four and and0 when they hit that stretch of what is it? A uh, and M, LSU, Alabama, Auburn. You yep, build up some momentum and get something rolling. Maybe not so much now.
3: Maybe being one and 0 before the stretch that mean uh, that is Texas A and M, Alabama, LSU, Auburn. It would make for a little bit of a disjointed schedule. Okay, so you wouldn't start until week three, September 19th. So Mississippi State would play week three, then they would have an open date, then they would play on October 3rd, then they would have an open date, and then it would be one, two, three, four, five straight weeks, and then an open date before the Thanksgiving night meeting with Ole Miss. This is in a scenario where you play your eight conference games as they sit right now, as the schedule lays out, just take the non-conference games out. Ole Miss would play five straight to start the year, starting on September 19th. They would have Auburn, LSU, Alabama, Vanderbilt, Florida. Then they would have back-to-back open dates. Wouldn't play for two weeks. They'd have UConn. And then their scheduled open date before A&M and Arkansas and then another open date before the Egg Bowl. So Stephen says that's option number one or one of the options that's being discussed. The second possibility is what many who spoke to Banner Society feel is more likely in an eight-game season. The league would shrink the football window down to around two months. This would allow... The SEC to either start the season in September and conclude football early or wait a bit and play an eight game season leading into the conference championship game sometime in December. You had a preference one way or the other? I if never, it was if it was eight conference games only. I never
4: thought of it that way. To where if you shrink the window, maybe there's less opportunity for an infiltration of coronavirus and you can justify, hey, don't go out, don't see your girlfriends, just give us eight weeks. That's all That's all we ask. And you can keep... Almost t- a bubble. Basically create a bubble without calling it that because of optics. I never thought about it that way because my initial thinking was spread the season out over a longer time and you can adjust games as need be. But if they shrink it as much as possible, maybe there's less opportunity for it to get Disrupted. Never
3: thought about it like that.
0: Makes sense. The other
3: part, though, is if you leave it as it is and you've got all of these built in open dates, you create some recovery time in the event that you have some positive tests. Yeah. I have a feeling they're going to try to get
4: more than eight games, though. I mean, they, they might have to do this just because they just need to get games in no matter what. And if 10 is just not realistic, then they'll do this. But call me crazy. I think that they're going to do whatever they can to play 10 or 11, even if they can, just because of revenue.
0: And then, you know, they the... Uh... The next option that Godfrey has here is is a ninth conference is playing a nine game schedule and he, he's trying to figure out you know how you would do it. I think it would just be as simple as whoever your opponent is for uh, twenty twenty one. Yeah, you just play that game. That, and that, now that will create some teams will play five road games, but I think at this point in the in the in the situation, you just sort of take what you can get.
3: Um, forgive me. But anybody that wants to throw up a red flag of oh that's another tough game on our schedule or oh that's an extra road game I'm sorry life's not fair we're doing the best we can to have a football season if you catch just a touch it of the short end of the stick just deal with it yeah sorry also bowl games I mean the likelihood of them happening in their current form is
4: very very small and it's survival mode it's not get a bowl game and put a record up on your wall it's just play a season so you can play the next
3: one. All right, so option one was eight games with those two different models. Here's option two, an enhanced all-SEC schedule. The league would take the existing eight-game schedule at a ninth conference game, likely a cross-division opponent. He writes, it's not as easy as it sounds, though. The selection and placement of those additional games will create inter-program turmoil. Don't care about that. That normally takes the league months to smooth over. Don't care about that either. Auburn's 2020 yeah. East opponents are Kentucky and Georgia. Would they be paired with Florida or Vanderbilt? Bulldogs, Georgia, play Alabama and Auburn from the west. Would they end up with LSU or Arkansas and win? Week one is currently the only Saturday without any scheduled league games, but it's also the soonest.
0: If you go with what I just said, Auburn would end up at South Carolina. That's who they play in 2021.
3: Yeah. be okay.
0: I, I, although, I guess, think about it this way, though. if It makes more sense. They're at South Carolina next year. Wouldn't they play them at home this year so you have balance? So you end up with an extra home game. So State would be home against Vanderbilt because they're going to Vanderbilt next year. Ole Miss would get be on the road against – because I know they they got Florida at home. and They're at Vanderbilt. So they have, they have a home game this year. I'm sorry, they would be on the road this year and then home next year. I don't know who it's against off the top of my head. I'm sorry.
4: I don't mind the idea in this text, though. I mean, I guess they would have to drag the season out, but – Why not have a a staggered schedule to where you implement multiple bye weeks, two weeks off in some cases, to allow you to recover? If you do have multiple positives, the window of their recovery is built into your schedule already. Yeah. I mean, you can play one game without six or seven guys, but asking for two in a row is a little difficult. So you have that built into your schedule already, to where if you have one team that has, I don't know, a dozen, up to a dozen or more. Positive cases, there's a natural recovery period where you don't have to blow everything up for. And they've reduced it; it's it's less than that now, right? It's not 14 days anymore; it's like seven or eight.
3: Yeah, hey, Dad. I think for Ole Miss, it would be next year they go to Tennessee because they, they host you, Florida this year. So that means you would host Tennessee this year, right?
0: Yeah, that's what, that. That would, if that's correct, that's correct. Yes.
3: But would that be all that that but the way it's set up, that would mean all seven of your SEC West teams would get the additional home game.
0: I guess you're right. Yeah, that's a good point. But then next year I mean they're all the East teams would have them.
3: Yeah, but next year you'd be back to your normal schedule.
0: Yeah. I mean I get that, but again, going back to what you just said, it's about
4: it's about survival. Well, that, but if if you go from 8 to 10, you just add the next two, and it adds a home and a road game for everybody. Exactly, sure. Yeah. if you want to do that, yeah.
3: Also says that there is the possibility of a Big 12, an ACC alliance, that multiple schools have confirmed a desire among athletics directors and the league to preserve as much of the non-conference schedule as possible. ACC is considering canceling its non-conference games. They've not made that decision yet. But if you went with a scenario where Georgia still played Georgia Tech, Florida still played Florida State, Kentucky got Louisville, South Carolina got Clemson, you've covered four of the 14. You've got four SEC teams that are already scheduled to play Big 12 teams this year. Ole Miss against Baylor, Vanderbilt against Kansas State, Tennessee against Oklahoma, and Texas against LSU. That's now eight of your 14. Maybe there's a way to figure that out you had a couple of ACC non-conference opponents. Auburn, Auburn against North Carolina. Mississippi State against NC State. Arkansas against Notre Dame. Nine, I like girl, right now, I Porky, I misunderstood what you were saying, but I think you're on something. And we got a texter that was pointing out the uh, exact same thing. When you were saying staggered schedule, I, I didn't realize you meant every other week straight through. I thought, thought you were talking about the ske- staggered schedule Like we were saying, just take the non-conference games out right now. And so there's some built-in open dates. So, so let's explore that idea just a second. What if we started the season on schedule on September 5th? And then the 12th was an open date for everybody. And then you played on the 19th and the 26th was an open date for everybody. Played on the 3rd of October, the 17th of October, Halloween night. And then you played November 14th, and November 28th, and December 12th. And December 12th was your final Saturday of the regular season. And then do whatever you want to with the SEC Championship game. Do it the next week, do it the day after Christmas, or do it January 2nd.
0: Can't do it the day after Christmas. They play the Motor City
3: Bowl the day after Christmas.
0: There's a little bit of difference in the amount of people who show up for the Motor City Bowl versus the SEC Championship game.
3: I mean, you're only going to let like 30 or 40,000 people show up for that championship game anyway. There's a
0: lot of difference between the 30 or 40,000 that come to the SEC Championship game and the 8,000, maybe, maybe, that show up for the Motor City Bowl. I don't know, man. It's been a long time since Ole Miss filled it up with Randy Moss up there. I don't think anybody's showing up for Central Michigan versus Miami of Ohio.
3: Stuart Patridge, Andre Roan, Rebe- and the Rebels put on a show against Chad Pennington, Randy Moss, and company in uh, uh, the old Silverdome.
0: I'll take your word for that. I didn't watch the game. What? Yes, you did. I did not. that, after that egg no bowl. I was so disillusioned. No oh, no, way. I didn't watch. I didn't on watch a minute n- of that game.
3: On the day after Christmas, for the, the purported college football fan that you are, I didn't you watch didn't watch hoping that Randy Moss was going to torch the, the Ole Miss Rebels.
0: I didn't watch the game. I did hope that, though.
3: Yeah. Didn't happen.
0: It did not. Open one hand, you know what in the other. Which one weighs more? <laughs> That's exactly.
3: Is that a terrible idea, though? Oh, I
4: wonder no. if there's a way where you could do like a, a half and half situation that's pro- probably not possible but where you have games every weekend but each team that's playing has a staggered yeah i mean you could bring in as as godfrey mentions they are trying to work with other conferences potentially are going to try to work with other conferences to preserve some games so what if you played an sec west schedule plus two And the SEC West starts on this weekend, and the SEC East starts on this weekend. So you've got games every Saturday.
3: I'd have to play around with whether or not that model would work.
4: Yeah, I mean, this is on the fly, but that would give you just a built-in, the quarantine period. If you do have players that test positive after the game on, on Sunday morning, they test positive they could potentially be available for the next one. Every yeah. week. Or every game, excuse me.
3: It'd be a strange feeling. Um, but it's going to be strange no matter what, man. I, yeah, you know? No, no, it is. It is, and I, I think that's why no ideas are crazy. That That they're all worth thought, and there's no reason to just dismiss any idea that's out there to me, the the hesitation that I would have when you were talking about bringing in non-conference games into that as well is, okay, now you're talking about extending the season into the middle of January.
4: Well, so there's probably not enough games, but the SEC West is seven teams. Right. You play six games plus two.
3: So you're saying the other two are outside the conference. It, you yeah, only play it, your division opponents, no cross-division opponents... And then you pull in two non-conference games.
4: Yeah, this is just an idea. I saw that face that Haydad just made. It's just an I, idea I during idea. a pandemic. Um,
0: it's an idea. I, just, I, I personally don't care for it.
4: But especially in the East because you have uh, Kentucky and Louisville and Clemson and South Carolina and yeah, Florida but, and Florida State but, and Georgia you're and Georgia, but Georgia you're Tech that Auburn, are still – you're
0: cutting Auburn and Georgia and you're cutting Alabama, Tennessee and Florida LSU. Great games that we want to see. So. But it's a pandemic I mean. – I, gotta I, do I, something. I, I get it, but I, I would rather just find a way to add one. Add, if you're going to add a game, add a non-conference game. Everybody gets one non-conference game. It has to be within a 150-mile radius of your school. So you can pick up whoever you want, but they have to be within that radius.
3: Seas by our text line. You guys, with your scenarios, you will take anything and try to stand like you know what you're talking about. We'll recap some games when
0: we come back from the commercial. Oh, wait!
3: Will Tommy Tuberville win the GOP Senate race in Alabama tonight? It's Jeff Sessions. 80 fly route to Moss, first play of the game. Yeah, they went up top early.
0: I have a tremendous Photoshop idea if Tuberville loses. We'll see if I get to send it out. Mike
3: in Oxford says, a lot of snow on the ground up there that night in Detroit. Derek says, not a terrible idea. Sports Talk Mississippi. We will be right back. Here and the time is rightful, in the Rolling into the 5 o'clock hour with you on this Tuesday, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad, thank you for being with us. You want to be part of the conversation, you can do just that on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. That is the number. Want double the data for the same dang price? Now all prepaid by C Spire plans get double the high-speed data through the end of the year. Pay for 6 gigs, get 12 for just $40. Pay for 12 gigs, get 24 for just 55 bucks. You get the idea. Now you can get the deal. Plus, C Spire is giving you your choice of free phone while you bring your number from another carrier. No contract, no credit check. No bull, just better wireless. Learn more at cspire.com slash prepaid. Again, the number to text the show, 601-879-4395. You can also hit us up on the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed at Sports Talk M-I-S-S. Time right now for the college football fix. college football front a lot going on let's start with a story from a couple of weeks ago that has uh got some new life to it you remember the demands by the student athletes at the university of texas of the university that uh they would play in games and they would practice but they wouldn't do any they they wouldn't be helping in recruiting efforts or promoting the school Beyond what was absolutely required of them if some changes weren't made. And the changes, list of changes, included the removal of the University of Texas's official song, The Eyes of Texas. If you've ever watched a Texas sporting event when they finish the game, all the players stand shoulder to shoulder and they do the hook 'em horn signal and they look or sing or stand in front of the band and are there for the eyes of Texas. The university has responded. By the way, that was not the only request. There were a bunch of other things that they wanted. The university has responded, and while they are not going to give up the eyes of Texas, there are a lot of proactive measures that are being taken by the university. With regard to the eyes of Texas, they are going to educate everybody on the history of that song, where it originally came from, and then create context that goes along with it and show everybody that um, that's not what it's about. In their official release, Texas says, the eyes of Texas in its current form will continue to be our alma mater. Aspects of its origin, whether previously widely known or unknown, have created a rift, in how the song is understood and celebrated, and that must be fixed. It's my belief that we can effectively reclaim and redefine what this song stands for by first owning and acknowledging its history in a way that is open and transparent. Together, we have the power to define what the eyes of Texas expect of us, what they demand of us, and what standard they hold us to now. The eyes of Texas should not only unite us, but hold all of us accountable to our institution's core values, first, we must own the history. Only then can we reimagine its future. Pretty decent statement there. Yeah. Also, there is a plan to erect a statue for Julius Whittier, the Longhorns' first black football letterman at DKR Memorial Stadium. At the suggestion of the family of Joe Jamail, who passed away and was a huge benefactor at Texas, the university is going to rename Joe Jamail Field at DKR in honor of Texas's two Heisman Trophy winners, Earl Campbell and Ricky Williams. And both of those former Texas players released statements that talked about the honor that it was and, um, that when they played they never would have been able to wrap their minds around the idea of the field at the University of Texas being named after African-American football players and whatnot. And one of the things that the Texas players, that they wanted the university to commit half a percent of the Athletics Department revenue to outreach programs and other metro areas in the state of Texas. Texas did not specify a dollar amount, but they did say that they would have Specific outreach programs in Dallas and Houston and San Antonio and other areas. I don't know that any of that is, is bad. I wonder if the student-athletes who were kind of drawing their line in the stand will be okay with what the university said, hey, this is what we're
0: willing to do. It's it'll be a good litmus test for how willing to compromise people are. And it feels like there was a lot of give. They want to keep the eyes of Texas, but they want to try to, you know, make it a more I don't know if inclusive is the word, but they wanna, you know, educate people on it, but they wanna keep that. That that that's their that, that's sort of their line in the sand. This is we're not willing to give this up. Will the people who are against that make say, Okay, you know what? You've done enough and we feel like we can work with you on that. Hopefully that will be the case.
3: Hmm. Borky, you like this stuff? Uh,
4: yeah, to a point. Uh, this None of this seems unreasonable. It's just, at some point, somebody somewhere does need to draw a line. Uh, I don't think it's been crossed here. I don't think it was crossed there, but... There will be a point where lines do get approached and people try to cross, and and hopefully the people in charge dig their heels in and say enough is enough.
3: Let's see if there are any other changes. I read through the story yesterday. I was kind of scrolling back through it. Just um... If we're
4: canceling and getting rid of everything that's potentially problematic, I mean, The laundry list of things on every college campus, uh, every, a lot of college campuses across the country need to change. I mean, if we're going to start getting rid of names that have ties to a dark past, well, then Harvard and Yale need to go too. You know, I mean, no, not Harvard and Yale, Brown and Yale. Maybe Harvard's got ties too, but Yale definitely does. Do we need to change that name now? Why is nobody calling for that? Why is it just here in the South that – names and songs and stuff have to change where Yale is named after a slave trader. So if we're going to go down this road, then it needs to be everybody. And so when when do we stop? That's It's a fair question that people ask. I was okay with the state flag. Obviously, we talked about it ad nauseum. Nothing unreasonable happened here at Texas. But at some point you got to figure it doesn't mean that anymore. Let's just push.
3: I think that's reasonable. There's some uh, buildings on Texas's campus that will be renamed. Robert Lee Moore Hall, named for a math professor known for not allowing black students to take his classes. University said that that building will be renamed. Uh, T.S. Painter Hall, named for Theopolis Painter, who served as UT president in the 40s and 50s and was noted for denying entrance to the Texas Law School, uh, a black student who met every requirement except race. There was a lawsuit that led to a Supreme Court decision that ultimately forced the school's admission of black students in 1950. The school will honor Sweat, UT's first black student, with the Human M. Sweat entrance to T.S. Painter Hall and will place a statue of Sweat near the entrance. Um... Changes to some other buildings as well. So a lot of this stuff is happening all over the country. And I'm with you, Borky. I mean, I think some of it's good. I mean, I think there's some corrections that need to be made. But at the same time, can't erase history, can't change history, don't need to erase history. Maybe contextualization is important. But not everything has to be changed. Because what are you if you have no history? Even if the history was bad, even if it was wrong, we can learn from it. And that would, I mean, learning from history would point to an educated and an enlightened society that is smarter and better overall. Sports Talk Mississippi with you streaming at Supertalk.fm. That's your college football fix. We got more news from around the country in the college football world. We'll get to that when we come back. Cross ADAD and Morky on this Tuesday. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross and Michael Borky and Brian Haydad, Tuesday afternoon. I know we mentioned it earlier. Just feeling a little more optimistic today. Maybe it's because we got the news about high school football in the state of Mississippi, pushed all the fall sports back a couple of weeks. High school football practice scheduled to begin on August 17th, I think it was, with games starting on September 4th. Go team. You're just hoping it continues that way. Ohio State is back to work on the football field after a brief hiccup. They are back prepping for whatever the 2020 college football season will hold. Six days ago, Ohio State announced that it was putting a halt to all voluntary on-campus workouts that had commenced the month before due to the results of its most recent COVID-19 testing of student-athletes. Earlier today, however, Ohio State announced that its student-athletes, including football players, are now permitted to resume workouts. school noted in its release that all student-athletes from the seven sports that returned last month to voluntary workouts were tested Monday. Results were received today. The last round of testing was July 7th resulting in the suspension on July 8th. They didn't give specific numbers of uh, tests, most recently taken, uh, citing medical privacy. Some people would say shutting all the workouts down is a little bit of a freak-out, but maybe that's just a responsible decision. Well, that, especially
4: when it's not like they had to have them over the last month, you know? I mean, they were... There are voluntary workouts, and the season's still pretty far off, and most people expect some kind of delay. So rather just kind of do this now where maybe four weeks from now you would handle it differently.
3: Big Ten, Pac-12 are the conferences that have already said conference games only. Big Ten led the way, Pac-12 followed suit. That leaves the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12. So the SEC has said it will not make an announcement until the end of July. The ACC appears to be in line with that idea. And it is expected that the Big 12 is going to kind of do the same thing, that they're going to kind of hold off until the end of the month. Doesn't it feel... So, so you got Larry Scott, kind, who, who kind of marches, I don't want to say marches to the beat of his own drum, but the pac is looking at things a little bit differently than folks in this part of the country are. And Kevin Warren, who somebody described to me as militant and a guy who believes he has all the answers, kind of went rogue in terms of the decision. Big Ten just said, we're going to do it. We're going to do conference-only games. Not worried about who it affects. Aren't aren't in terms of commissioners aren't the elder statesmen kind of John Swafford from the the ACC who's going to step down next year and Greg Sankey and Bob Bowlesby these are guys that know each other they've worked to, with each other they've been around for a long time doesn't it feel like we're trending toward on i don't know July maybe July 14th.
0: 27th I was wondering what today was. It's like,
3: "No, no, I, I, maybe Monday, July twenty seventh, or the middle of that week, Wednesday, July 29th. An announcement from all three of those leagues
0: on how they're going to ca- try to work together. I'm calling the uh, the Friday news dump on the. I think it's the twenty fifth. That's a Saturday, twenty fourth right, well, is twenty fourth. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. My only question about that, though, hey, Dad, is why would you make? This announcement is part of a news
0: dump. I mean, maybe not a news dump. Massive news. I'm saying it'll it'll be Friday. Okay. Friday the 20. You said the 24th. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I I just don't know why you would try to hide that on a Friday. I I don't think so. They may not be. It may come out at two o'clock, but I think it's going to come out on Friday. Okay. Just a gut feeling. That is, it's just a gut feeling.
3: There you go. But the bigger question I was asking there was: Do you think these three leagues
0: kind of stick together? Probably, yeah. Kevin Warren's an interesting guy, man. He, He's—it feels like he's determined to create his own path for him and his conference. Sometimes it pays off to be the lone I mean, ranger. I, Jim Delaney was sort of that way up there as well. You know, he they were very big. T- you know, we make we we don't follow other. He, They're not followers. They're leaders and legends, according to their divisions a few years back.
3: Borky, sometimes it pays off to be the lone wolf, but sometimes you hit your tee shot in the water and it gets kind of ugly. Oh, I wouldn't know the feeling. I'm sure you're very familiar.
0: Yeah, I don't know if you – I'm sure you do, Dennis, but I don't know if you do or not. You know his son plays football at Mississippi State, Kevin Warren. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, Powers Warren. He's a backup tight end. I don't know – he's a tight end. I don't know what he plays now, but (laughs) – He's on the roster. What? What was the connection? In anything? There wasn't one. He just they recruited him. He signed with Mullen, I think. So he is a senior. Uh, he's either a senior or a redshirt junior. One of the two. Okay, he's been at it for a while. Let's see if I can find that.
3: How about the Auburn story from yesterday at Sportico? Auburn's nine-year deal with Under Armour has fallen by more than 11% in terms of its value due to a unique part of the contract in which the school chose to accept equity in the now-struggling apparel brand. Oh! Back in 2015, Auburn and Under Armour re-upped their partnership through 2025, a deal worth $78.2 million in total value, Part of the agreement, the school agreed to accept $10 million in stock paid out over the life of the contract. The contract was signed September of 2015, less than a week after Under Armour hit an all-time stock price high of $54.70 per share. Since then, the company has undergone a multi-year restructuring that included the elimination of 40% of its product line, with shares currently trading at $9. That $10 million stock grant is now worth $1,770,000. Mmm. That stings. That it- stings.
4: And it doesn't feel like it's going to recover, right? Under Armour's done some restructuring, and they've discontinued making some things. It, I almost feel like they should potentially kind of sell off and cut their losses.
3: Well, I mean, you've already lost eighty-five yeah, mean, percent of the value. Might as well just see if it gets a little bit of a bump. I mean, did
4: you it, see in the story, the previous five years that stock grew five hundred percent?
3: and
4: then after they buy it, it plummets? Yeah. Is any other deal structured this way? So, like, is Ole Miss with Nike or Mississippi State with Adidas? So, this is a very unique situation with Auburn and stock options and Under Armour?
3: Well, Notre Dame is the only other school that for sure is known to have taken a a stock option set up with Under Armour as well. But if you will remember, way back when Tom Brady signed his deal with Under Armour there was an equity piece of that deal and so it wasn't an all cash deal with Tom Brady they gave him a you know some stock options in there as well as part of it and so if he didn't sell when it was high then Tom Brady's holding a bunch of shares of Under Armour stock that used to be 55 bucks and now they're 9 not that anybody's crying for Tom Brady, I understand that. but So, it was a total of 101,174 shares. And the stock is awarded in even increments over the part of the deal. So, nine installments of 11,241 shares on July 1st of every year. The shares that Auburn has received so far are now worth $786,000. The outstanding shares have a current value of nine hundred eighty-two thousand dollars. They're gonna get the same number of shares regardless. I mean, it's not going back to fifty five bucks a share. But I mean, if you're Auburn, you gotta hope look, if we can get this thing from nine to seventeen, we're making progress. And if we can get it from seventeen to thirty four, maybe we got a shot. Hey, Dad's thinking about Saturday morning wrestling. Woo! Memphis World Championship Wrestling. No,
0: no, no. Come on now. Not this song.
3: Okay. Space Odyssey 2001. Here come the South Carolina Gamecocks.
0: No, not that either. We'll
3: be back. Sports Talk Mississippi. 37 Tuesday afternoon, got some breaking news. Dan Wolken thinks he's the smartest guy on the planet. It's just in. I didn't get a smile from you on that, hey, Dad.
0: I am want to see where we're going.
3: Oh, no, I- he just... John Kincaid, who hosts a show in Atlanta and hosts a national show on CBS, got into it with him on on Twitter. And, of course, Dan comes, oh, you're smart enough to know blah, 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 blah. I mean, it just, it's incessant. This was the, uh... so there was a story in Florida today. I don't know if you guys saw it about the uh, errant numbers as it pertains to coronavirus testing. I'll get to that in a second. So, John Kincaid pointed out, he goes, But I heard Dan Wolken say today on a radio show that this story was cherry picking numbers. Okay. Dan Wolken responds with suggesting that a data error at a lab means we don't have a major COVID problem is the definition of cherry picking and, frankly, just stupid. John Kincaid, again, maybe a bigger following than Dan Wolken, says, Thank you, doctor. It's just preferable that we closely review the data and figure out how ridiculous these errors are. Who made these mistakes? What are the real numbers? Was there nefarious intent? You know, reporter questions, not activist questions. And, And Dan Wilkins' response. Here it is. I suspect you're smart enough to know that the actual issue as it relates to college football is that there are a lot of infections in Florida and elsewhere, but you're doing a damn good job convincing me that you're not. No, Dan, that's not what he's doing. He was referring to a story that a lot of us saw today from Fox 35 in Orlando that was pointing out all of these clinics that have 100% positive test results. Only, guess what? They don't actually have 100% positive test results. And one of the clinics, I think it was the State Department of Health in Florida, goes, this is non-factual reporting. It was actually only 98% positive test results. And the news station in Florida responded, actually, you're wrong again. It was 9.8%.
4: Yeah, it's it's not just one lab. It's dozens of them. All over the state of Florida. And that's why, see, the conversation we had yesterday, and I saw this story this morning and I got frustrated. Only because this is why people are skeptical. And they have every reason to be. Because on one hand, you, like we said yesterday, all of Dr. Dobbs and Tate Reeves and you have... Uh, the Republican Speaker of the House and the Republican Lieutenant Go- Governor who both got coronavirus. The the President of the United States is wearing a mask now. The Vice President is. All these people are doing this because they think it's the right thing to do. But also, here's this situation in Florida. So when people are skeptical, you have guys like Dan Walkin, And then we didn't even talk about what... Um, oh gosh, uh, what's his name? The Nerd. Action Network. Darren Rovell,
0: the nerd,
4: <laughs> uh, what he said over the weekend—that disingenuous garbage. But well, you have you have those people that will shout down those that are skeptical and call them stupid for uh, for not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the nerd it's just got me laughing.
4: <laughs> but so. It, all right, momentum All right. is changing in the direction <laughs> You're the of the guy, the idiot. People are, are, are starting to maybe be more open to the idea of wearing masks to mitigate it, but they've kind of dragged their feet on it because stories like this. But then they're told they're idiots for not believing that it's as widespread as they're being told. Well, here's a guy like Dan Wolken, who, even though he's a clown, has a national platform and a lot of failing newspapers, but there's still a lot of them who will say things like what he did to John Kincaid. And people see that. It, the truth is always somewhere in the middle. And because of guys like Wolkin, and then people on the other side who think it's a liberal conspiracy, the the middle, which is the most appropriate
3: platform, never gets seen. There is clearly... And, and, and again... Uh, uh, sorry, i I'm, I'm der- go ahead and finish that. I didn't mean to derail, derail your point. Uh, there,
4: there are just... There, there's very clearly... Something going on with the numbers, very clearly, because this story in Florida is damning. There's something up. But also, there is a virus that is real, that has killed people, that is very Mm -hmm. easily spread, that we yet don't know how to cure it. There's a lot of treatments that have gotten better, but there's no cure yet. There is a virus, it is spreading, but it's clearly not what people like Wolken think it is. The truth lies somewhere in the middle. And yeah, yeah, we can
3: need to wear masks and need to do things to mitigate the spread of a virus that to your point Morky, has proven to be deadly. And can be very contagious and is especially hard on elderly people and pe- people with pre- uh, pre-existing conditions. That that can be true while it can also be true that maybe it's not as bad as it's been made out to be. This was the story. Fox 35 News in Orlando noticed errors in the state's report on positivity rates. The Florida Department of Health said that some labs have not been reporting negative test results, uh, result data to the state. Countless labs have reported a 100% positivity rate. Which means every single person tested was positive. Not likely. Other labs had very high positivity rates. Fox 35 News found that testing sites, like one local uh, called CentraCare, reported that 83 people were tested and all tested positive. Then NCF Diagnostics in Alachua reported 88% of the tests were positive. How could that be? They investigated the astronomical numbers, contacting every local location mentioned in the report. The report showed that Orlando Health had a 98% positivity rate. However, when Fox 35 News contacted the hospital, they confirmed errors in the report. Orlando Health's positivity rate is only 9.4%, not 98%. The report also showed that Orlando Veterans Medical Center had a positivity rate of 76%. Spokesperson for the VA told the news station this does not reflect their numbers and that the positivity rate for the center is actually 6%.
4: And yet we talk down to people that are skeptical. I say we, the media... People like Wolkin talk down to people that are skeptical. Instead of saying, hey, look, guys, we have some anecdotal evidence now. There's some data, especially in in Japan, for example, where widespread mask wearing has mitigated the virus. We have evidence here that it does the same thing. So keep your social distance. Wear your mask, man. It could help. Instead of talking to people like humans, we talk to them like they're idiots because they're skeptical of what's going on because of stories like this. I mean, I've been wearing a mask not as perfectly as I should the whole time because of family circumstances. So we kind of need to. It would be bad if we got it. But talking down to someone that says, I'm not going to wear a mask because I don't believe it's true. How can I do that when you have this story out here? I think Tate Reeves on Twitter had a really good point today. The people that are mask shamers are just as bad as the people who are defiant about it. Talk to people like humans and maybe we'll get somewhere. Instead, know you're an idiot for not wearing a mask. Instead of saying, hey man, we got some proof that it works, it's you're a moron.
3: That's just as bad. Yeah. Yeah. Some of all of it can be true. But I think there are reasonable questions to be answered. Those aren't accidents. Not when they're coming from that many places. When you only report the results that you want to report... I mean, Borky, if let, let, let's say that you're playing in golf tournaments and you benefit greatly by having a higher handicap because you get more shots when you play in a net score golf tournament. Well, how do you get a higher handicap? Well, you only turn in the scores of your rounds when you shoot in the 90s. When you shoot in the, so if you're a good player, or an average player or whatever, and you've got a bunch of scores in the 70s and the 80s, but you only turn in your 90s, well, you're, you're, you're cheating the system. You're not giving all of your results. You're giving the results that will make the number look the way you want it to look instead of the way the number actually is. And by the way, positive test results are not the end-all, be-all in this thing. They're part of it. There's so, there, there's so many people that all they're looking at is total number of positives. Total number of positives. We've got to look at mortality rates. We've got to look at hospital censuses, ICU censuses, ventilator usages. All that stuff matters. And I'm honestly not sure that many of us really know what to do with the numbers when we get them. They're just kind of numbers whatever the latest talking head has told us whichever set of numbers we've been told is most important that's kind of what we eat up